Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 156 of Career Podcast. Our today's guest is Mr. Farid Sandoval. And no, he's not Iranian, he's Mexican. He told me the story of how he got his name. And I'm not going to do like, you know, spend too much time on that. He's a film concept artist at working at Technicolor, which we're going to talk about it at the podcast as well from Los Angeles, United States. Now, before we jump into the questions and just not just a question, the whole podcast whole shebang let me just uh, mention something in the for context section of the captions you can see his instagram id his art session link and his and the link to his website so you can check them all out and you can also check out technicolor uh, website as well for some you know really interesting stuff they're working on so you know there's that and i and i always want to mention this at the start of the episode so people don't actually like skip it you know you know so if you're actually listening to this on instagram as the five minutes snippet you can actually you know Get all this information. So, how are we doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you for having me. All right, awesome. And well, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I already told you, but I didn't even drink coffee. By the way, for last night, like I, I'm just, I'm just trying to stay awake for the sheer will of determination. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly crazy. No, don't try this, guys. Like you know, it's not really good for your health. Always try to have a balanced sleep schedule, but yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of, I kind of honestly missed uh, doing this podcast. It's been, kinda, it's been kind of like twenty days. Maybe for a lot of you guys, it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but for the standard of like when I used to bang out like episodes every day, you know, twenty days seems like a lot. But uh, uh, yeah, but honestly, I've been just taking a break from everything, and I- I'm just gonna continue podcast like pretty casual. I'm not gonna take it serious too much. Uh, I'm just trying to tried my best to enjoy it, the whole process more as opposed to like you know worrying about i don't know growth aspect of it or anything else you know i'm getting to talk with a lot of a lot of interesting artists you know win-win <laughs> there's no lose yeah. right exactly and i hope everyone is listening to this podcast or watching on youtube which i suggest everyone to do so because we're going to do a sketchbook tour around this episode as we did on a lot of previous episodes i hope you're all doing fantastic as well and well one of the first things I always like, you know, um, wonder about every guest is how did they got their start in like, you know, visual arts and, you know, the world of visual arts and design and art and everything. Like, you know, what, basically what moment was it for you when you decided that, aha, uh-huh, I want to be a current artist? What inspired you basically? Or what was the whole process of it? I think I was uh, very young. I think I was uh, probably seven, seven years old or something like that. I watched um, Jurassic Park for the first time. Uh, then Independence Days and like just alien movies in general. I think, uh, I think they all contributed to me knowing that I wanted to be part of film. And then more recently, I found out, you know, after college, I found out about concept art and that's, uh, I, my roommate was in animation and I was an industrial design major, and I got to kind of see his major gave me a window into visual development. And from there, I was like, oh, okay, this is where design and my love for movies kind of come together, and and this is what I should do. So I was studying in Canada, and I moved to Los Angeles to pursue that career. Interesting, and um, industrial industrial design. That's that's was one of my first choices when I was like, you know, in my teen years, you know, when people like, you know, you know, when you're doing your stuff and people, whether on a school or teachers or family members, you know, stuff like, you know, see what you're doing and they try to suggest, you know, for your 
future careers or something. And one of the first majors that was brought up early on was uh, for me was industrialism, which is something it, like a, a discipline that I still kind of like and enjoy. And I sometimes read articles from like news of the whole world of like, you know, industrialism and stuff like that. But here's my question. How did, do you think the stuff you learned in the industrial design major helped you a lot? Like in what ways did that help you and give you an edge as an artist in compared to other people, you know? Yeah, I think definitely in understanding. So basically concept art, there's a lot of fine arts and illustration skills like traditional painting and, and composition. And so there's a lot of these very traditional atelier style kind of knowledge. And, and I think what industrial design did for me gave me more of a thought process to break down complex problems or understand briefs. So I think it, 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 it was really good in the sense that it allowed me to, yeah, to break down you know, a complex image or a complex set of images into digestible things that I can, that I can work through. Um, so yeah, it definitely helped in that way. But you know, at the same time, I was coming from a more traditional background from high school. I, I went to college and I did design and I definitely forgot a lot of, I lost a lot of the skills that I had before entering college, you know? So I kind of traded uh, fine arts for design. And so then after I finished college, college, I had to come back to fine arts to to go back to you know complementing uh, the skills, um, and I I find that uh, when people ask me about concept art, I think whenever you manage to to get a bit of both design and and fine and the fine art skills, it's it's a really good uh, combination. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, one of the in the future, I think the like right now, everyone's learning that the new generation of concept artists that are being brought up, like, you know, they're kind of like all of them, most of them. No, actually, all of them is super wrong. Sorry. But the majority of them are learning from usually the same resources and um, courses and, you know, basically similar stuff, similar like methodologies and ways of thought. But the thing about art is that you need to realize is, especially as it is a creative, like at its core, a creative field. I mean, we should have this type of mindset for everything, not just art, is to see, try to like, you know, approach a, a certain like subject from different angles and try to find the truth and like, you know, interesting bits of uniqueness at the intersection of those things. For example, you studied industrial design, then you interested fine arts and you kind of mesh them together. And in the intersection of like these two things, like, you know, you kind of like, you know, could carve out some sort of like, you know, understanding of visual, uh, understanding of visual libraries of like, you know, stuff for your works, you know, like, you know, that's just an example. And even like, you know, for example, I know a lot of like, you know, everyone knows this, by the way, not just me. Uh, in character design, a lot of like character designers like to get actually good at like, you know, anatomy, they study Grey's Anatomy, which is actually mm -hmm. not an, necessarily an art book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like maybe, for example, like behind you, I see like some lovely plants in your apartment, by the way. Like, for example, if you're an environment concept artist and you want to like, you know, get good at like, you know, foliage, maybe it's maybe get a book of bo botanical, like, I don't know, encyclopedia or something. That, that, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff really helps. And what do you think about it? Have you had any experiences like that or saw anyone 
uh, tried to do something you know, like that recently? So, so you're, you're asking me if like how, how I acquire the knowledge? Or... Um, no, I mean, I'm kind of asking like, have you, I mean, I, of course you have both yourself and or anyone else that you've seen recently or just in your art journey that you've seen took a different approach to learning. Like for example, oh, yeah, studied yeah. something extra to add to his like repertoire of like, you know, methodology and stuff like Definitely. that, you know? Yeah, I mean, what's very interesting to me is how different each person's learning journey is and the way our brain works. And that's one of my favorite things about being at the studio is just like seeing all those approaches. Like, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who was like almost uh, 80% fine arts and 20% design. And so, you know, like I, I cannot compete with him or, you know, like when it comes to technique, you know, but then we complement each other because then I come up with a lot of the thought process about the way uh, something is meant to look and then he has a technique, you know. So I think in the department, all these different learning um, processes, different ways, the, way, the different ways we process visuals and life really translates into a very diverse uh, department. And I think that's what, what's made us very successful uh, is, is that the fact that we have all of these very, very different brains working sometimes on the same problem and just like, uh, yeah, you know, like you were mentioning, like, for example, I'm not a person that studies, like I don't do studies. I don't, it's, it's just never worked for me. I don't take uh, notes also. I'm not recommending people do this, but this is just the way my brain works. Where I see that some people, like I'm jealous because they do studies and they get better study by study, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I guess, I guess the answer to the question is like, I, I see it every day and it's exciting to see how everyone processes life and, and funnels it into, into something different, although we all have the same brief. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, about studies, I mean, uh, yeah, everyone's, as you said, is kind of different, but I kind of can't imagine, like, it should be, like, how do you practice? I mean, if you don't do studies, I mean, you practice, like, the same exercises or, like, because here's the thing, practices are kind of, like, a super effective and lazy way of practicing. By lazy, I mean, don't get me wrong, by lazy, I mean, the prompt is already there. You just need to do the work. You know what I mean? And, yeah. like, you don't have to think, you just need to, try your best to recreate whatever that is i mean i, I kind of don't like how do you practice by the way i'm just i'm just curious now well i mean now i'm i'm privileged because i have briefs every day and i'm just like i feel like every day i'm pushed into the abyss without wings and i need to develop them at every show that we do every movie is like oh so now you need to design a fairy boom and i'm pushed and I'm like, i've never designed a fairy so it's like as i'm falling i'm trying to go through my design process okay like i'm gonna grab some reference and i start doing and i just like you know force my way through the problem and i think i digest a lot of that information of design of art values in that in that uh job and so you know, the next job that I, the next time I have to design a ferry, I have a lot of this knowledge and stuff. So right now, um, it's because I have all, you know, I, I'm 
push through all of these uh, different topics and and styles of movies that I need to design for and paint for, that that ends up being my practice. You know, I practice absolutely every day. Uh, but before before uh, doing this, I, I think I was just just forcing myself to do everything, even if I didn't know how to do it. Like just I'm trying to figure out like. For, it's like by force. I don't know if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I can definitely understand what you mean. So basically going along with the flow of like, you know, whatever gets thrown at you, basically. That's what I'm kind of hearing. Definitely, definitely. It's uh, So for example, if I wanted to draw something that I've never drawn before, I would just start doing it. Like I wouldn't grab reference. I would just like, I'm going to start doing it. And then I get to a point where I get stuck. Like there's mm-hmm. always that point where I'm like, oh, I actually don't know what any of what this looks like. Uh, and then that's where I grab reference and I start doing like my stuff. But, I, but in the end, what I mean by I don't by I don't do studies is like I am not grabbing, I'm not copying from mm. from life or from the masters. Like uh, it's just never that's never worked for me. I've tried it and I've always even in the like, beginning. Oh, even at the beginning, yeah. At the beginning, I was doing a lot of uh, life drawing. That to me, that's super helpful. Oh, like yeah, drawing definitely. from life, for for sure. That that I did like many many years. And before the pandemic, every Thursday we had two hours of figure drawing at the studio. So I mean that stuff. It's so invaluable. And I did a lot of like sculpture and like. So I did do a lot of work, but th- yeah. What I mean is like uh, I always found that I could copy whatever I wanted. Like if I see this thing, I can just copy it. But it, in the end, it didn't. I didn't learn, and it has to do with just the way I process things. Like I am, I am just, uh, I am just copying, as opposed to some people that are really good at studying and like breaking down. Things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I am not one of those people that have that skill to to copy and create a process for how to do that. It's just that's just not the way it works for me, particularly. Right. Yeah, I mean. I think the one, the main reason, and I think a lot of people will like remind me by saying this, that you can actually go with this process is because you actually have a solid understanding of the fundamentals. I mean, that's why you can, you know, go with the flow and do all this stuff, you know, with, and I mean, you also have briefs every day, as you said. And so, I mean, that's kind of like a good practice as well in itself. And there's some like an actually interesting tip. And I, I want to say like a thing that I realized and I want to say it for everyone to hear if you're having trouble breaking down stuff, like if, whether it be items, whether it be environments, whether it be even characters, I I swear, just try to learn Blender like at, at the beginner levels and try to recreate basic stuff with Blender, right? Now hear me out. When you do that, all right, you'll actually grasp and understand how everything is just works with basic shapes. How like those complex stuff you see is just super basic shapes is just beveled a little bit and there's just like you know there's nothing complex and when you actually you know work with a 3d as well if you're a 2d artist you know do that and also if you're a 3d artist try to like seriously try to learn some work on your 2d skills and the sketches as well like it they kind of complement each other it's kind of weird like you're a 3d artist you practice 2d to improve your 3d you know and then vice versa you know which is it's I swear it's, it's so insane. Like even just a basic amount of like even one month of like, you know, dedicated like 20 minutes a day would do wonders for a month. Like honestly. This, this, Definitely. Yeah. 
100%. I mean, when I was, I mean, even now, but particularly when I was studying, I always felt like, you know, I would do like a, a class with Kevin Chen at, at uh, CBA uh, for analytical figure drawing. So, you know, I would learn that and I would see progress very like, you know, like you take a class and you're excited and you have all this knowledge and you see progress. And then that progress slowly starts to slow down and you're like, oh man, I'm stuck. And just like your drawings, you know, they look the same for a long time and you cannot go past oh, it. Yeah. And, stuff. and then at that point, I realized that was a perfect point to move to a different medium to study the same thing. So then I would go, well, now I'm going to do ZBrush sculpture class, uh, analytical figure sculpting. And so, you know, I would go in there and start sculpting and definitely, you know, feel the same thing. Like, oh, I'm learning so much. I'm so good. You know, like then. Two weeks later you're like oh i suck again and then you you don't know why and then that's a perfect moment to jump into but you can go back to drawing and as you're saying they complement each other you know like a gesture and a lot of the principles they just move from medium to medium and and they always apply there's also another thing that you kind of mentioned without actually mentioning it directly which i'm gonna rephrase it now is when you're working on something and you hit a plateau as you mentioned like there are like certain like you know philosophies whether it be sports whether it be like you know just maybe art even in general that say you have to hardcore practice every day i mean great it's awesome but i believe like seriously and, and i think everyone else everyone regardless of their personality type or everything their brain kind of their subconscious like burns out and i and i swear to god like if you just for example you practice you've been practicing hard for two three months take your one week break just don't think about drawing at all. Do something else, seriously. Then go back, uh, sleep some nights, you know, just let your subconscious like process everything. Then go back to it, see how, like just how much you've improved. Because if you're just keep pushing yourself and not letting your basically brain like subconscious, brain, I don't know, I don't know the science behind it, but I'm just saying it out of experience, you know? Um, you realize, oh my God, I actually improved a lot. And it's not just in like art or stuff like that. Like, for a long time, I actually used to be a, like, you know, competitive submission grappler. You know, I used to be a jiu-jitsu practitioner, right? And I remember, dude, we trained so hard for the 2020 AJP in March 27th before the whole pandemic and lockdown. And I was so pumped and really, I burned my body to the maximum. And here's the thing, Corona hit and it got locked down the tournament. What happened? Three months later, our gym illegally, I mean... Why, why do I do this? Yeah, actually, legally, we opened up the gym to practice. I mean, we were all safe, and it was a closed group of people. I know a lot of people are going to just say what an irresponsible person you are, you know, or whatever, right? And with that three-month break and just staying in my room isolated, not just me, all of us, like, but for me especially, I realized, oh, my God, like, all the moves came to me much more naturally. You know, it became instinct to me. You know, have you experienced something like that? Are you one of those people who just say, all right, do practice everyday hardcore, like for the rest of your life and no breaks, breaks are for pussies and just stuff like that, you know? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, definitely when you're in school and you're trying to get your first gig, your first job, there's definitely some of that. Um, I would say that, yeah, particularly at the beginning when you're learning things like perspective, anatomy and things like that, it's harder to take a break because you are aware that you don't know th those things and it's like harder and stuff. But like, I think as time progresses, uh, the more I realize, like actually the least I work, the more, the better my work is. 
And that's something I had to learn the hard way. You know, like I actually hurt my arm. Uh, I got tendonitis drawing. Like I think I, it's uh, I was learning ZBrush back then, and and I I worked for like I just worked on a portfolio piece for like twenty hours or something. Oh straight. god! So, yeah, I'm hurt for the rest of my life because of that. So. Oh really? Yeah, I mean it's not a big deal. Honestly, oh, it's, right. it's now you know it's it's kind of healed. But if I push it, I go. I can oh. always feel, you know I can always feel the tendonitis coming back. So uh, all that to say that that hasn't worked for me i know that there's people out there who are painting i have friends you know like who are in the industry they're really good and I, they're doing studies every day they finish work and they're drawing and then on the weekends they go and paint. you know that they're amazing i love that it's just uh, personally that's not something that's ever worked for me and, and i find that i'm more productive and more creative when i you know put a few hours of work and i go to the kitchen and i try to use my creativity to create a dish <laughs> that's cook something go back for another, a few hours to do something and then go to the gym go back and you know, like make plans with friends to stay like just absorb life and then i always notice that when i am taking care of my life my surroundings my friends and all those things it shows in my art like i'm i have fresh eyes and i can identify problems more quickly and um just my ideas are flowing faster. So that's something that's taken a lot of time to learn, but it's one of the most useful things to know. Yeah, exactly. And the, the thing is, I mean, the kind of sad thing is that for a lot of us, I mean, for me personally is the case, but I, I've gotten much better at this, by the way, that, for example, you know that you need to take a break, but the other side of you is like, no, you have to be like disciplined. You, you is, This is laziness talking. You should you sh- shouldn't stop. You know that there's this conflict of voices in you and, you just need to just shh, don't listen to any voices. Just chill, relax. You need to rest. Come on, don't worry. <laughs> Nothing's gonna happen. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's actually such a big thing. That's actually, you know, as you said, you did it like twenty hour, like you know, portfolio piece thing, and it, it was it was detrimental. And yeah, I mean, I kind of had those experiences like that. I mean, not necessarily for tendonitis, but you know. Just similar situations and experiences, yeah. And I think a lot of people who are listening could also relate to these experiences as well. And well, I mean, we talked about uh, your. We know uh, in the introduction I mentioned that you're a film concept artist, and I also mentioned Technicolor. Now I'm gonna ask you some stuff about what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on right now. Assuming it's film concept art, tell us some of your experience of like you know working at Technicolor and just you know how's it been? What's Technicolor about? Just spill the beans, everything. Got it. So Technicolor, so basically there are like a couple of major BFX um, studio houses. You know, obviously you have ILM, Weta, Technicolor, they're the largest ones. Actually, out of the three of them, the three of them, I think Technicolor might be the largest in, in size, I think in, in the amount of people they, they hire. Uh, and then you have DNEG and Framestore. So they, these are all BFX houses. And so each one of them tends to have a, an art department in it that serves multiple movies. So, you know, like if Technicolor takes a movie that they're working on, like Godzilla, like we did, uh, or Detective Pikachu, whatever, uh, you know, they come to the studio and they're going to do all their VFX with the company. So usually what happens is like we are involved both, like we we offer the service of like, we can help you with pre-production art, um, uh, visual development, 
post-production, pre-production, you know, like we have all of these services as an art department. And it's a very small team, very focused. And, and you know, we're at a minimum like four to six people. And at a maximum, we can be up to 20 artists that we hire as freelancers to serve one movie or multiple movies at the same time. Um, so, so what's different from what I do to maybe other concept artist positions? It's like if you're in video games, you may be working on the same video game for like five years or three years. Same if you're in like in-house Disney, Pixar, you will be working in the same movie for a, a long time. Same if you're in the art department for just one movie, you'll be on set for one or two years. Whereas me, I work like on like 10 to 20 movies per year uh, and I'm rotated, you know, so I, I get the brief, I, I do the concepts for one to three weeks, maybe a month, we, we ship that out. And in that, the meantime, we're already receiving another movie while we wait for feedback. And so, you know, I love the fact that I get to design very, very, very different things throughout the entire year and I never get bored. And I think that's why I'm so, Lucky, and I, you know, this is not for everyone. I know some people would prefer to have, you know, like a, a single project for a long time. But in my case, and for my very distracted brain, this is just like perfect, and, and that's what I. Do. Yeah, awesome. And um, speaking of like, you know, working on a lot of multiple variety of projects, how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a project? Basically, what does the pipe structure of your pipeline looks like basically uh definitely with uh so we we get the script pages of the script or an interview with the director the brief with the director it depends it really depends on the project and uh and so basically once we have the script we have the brief we start internally talking about like me and my art director hey how are we going to approach this Who's going to be the best person to do this? Is it a matter of all of us working on it or just one artist for the, the entire month? And so then I, I always uh, start with mood boards. And basically, this is a way, to, you know, we can exchange notes about the movie that you want. But what red means something to me that's very different to red for you. You know, you may be thinking red Coca-Cola and I'm thinking cherry red, you know. So we create a mood board to kind of like make sure we're talking about the same thing. So. You know, when he says a monster, he's referring to, um, you know, longness monster, and I'm referring to an alien. So we we go through a couple of rounds of mood boards where we say like, okay, so this is what you mean. Okay, I like this. I don't like this. I hate this, which is also super important. Once we go through that uh, that round, then I then I have a direction and I start sketching things. Um, yeah, I love line drawing, and uh, and so. Lately, the past two or three years, I've been putting most ma mainly character and creature design. That's my, my main focus at the studio. Um, and so, yeah, I just start doing sketches, send them to the director. Basically, we have a two to three day deadline every time. Send it, we get feedback, and then I continue to progress. So, you know, it's all about options, you know, three options of sketches based on the brief and the... the um, the lineup that, that we created and then and then it starts to progress and, and get polished as as the rounds of feedback come back and forth uh, all the way to the final the final design all right and um by the way what is i know there's a lot of ideas involved you know i, I 
I'm aware of that. But is there any project that you can, you know, share with us? You know, what are we working on right now? Uh, not now. Or nothing uh, that I can share about now. But yeah, you know, we work on things that are sometimes three or four years away from ever making. Oh yeah, yeah. Will not be made into a movie. So yeah, unfortunately, nothing that I can that I'm working on right now. I uh, I can share. Yeah, maybe probably in five six years I'll share. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can tell us, all right? Yeah, the fair fair game. By the way, have you heard the news of that? You know, there's supposedly a film has been like you know recorded like two three years ago that's going to be aired in hundred years, and the title. Oh, I didn't hear of that. What? No, it, it, it's actually super like you know it it made a lot of headlines. You you should definitely check check that. By the way, for anyone who's listening, apparently, I mean. Um, I'm kind of too asleep to drive to Google right now, but here's the gist of the story. Um, basically, there's a movie that's been recorded like a couple of years ago that the title of in even the it's a future thing. There's they made three scenarios for it, whether it's a dystopia, utopia, and just a neutral. You know, nothing's changed that much, and it's going to be probably aired than 200 and um, basically at 21023 that year. <laughs> So yeah, it's going to be 100 years from now and it's they try to make it like something new, which is actually a cool concept to be honest. But I'm I'm just worried that someone will probably hack the database and just leak the movie before that and it just kind of ruins the whole vision of the director and yeah. fun. Yeah, I can see that happening for sure. No, but they they're probably like the people who did that probably have they thought about this stuff. I think they know how to save this. I mean, I'm not worried about that that much, but yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. And I just, wait, I think I'm going to be, yes, I think it was 21, 0, 2, or 3, what, either of those years, because I calculated I'm going to be 103 years old when, if I'm still alive by then, uh, <laughs> the, the movie is going to be aired by then. But yeah, oh. which is actually a cool concept. I mean, you, you just said I can tell you in the next four or five years, and just my brain just went to that headline, which is actually real news, by the way. You should go, you should all check it out. Yeah, I will check it out. It Super amazing. interesting stuff. Yeah. And um, by the way, uh, have your studio worked with any of the like, you know, superhero movies recently, or maybe Sonic 2 recently got out? It's not a superhero movie, but it's a really game adaptation movie. But uh, Sonic the movie at the Hedgehog, have you seen it? I haven't seen it, no. We worked on the first one. Uh, we didn't work on the second one yet. I swear, like, something told me that... I, I swear I'm not lying. I didn't check, like, you know, the movies you worked on. I just assumed, like... This Technicolor seems like the type of studio that works on Sonic, you know? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. How about the I second think, one? Uh, I, you know, I think after, what was it, Jungle Book, there's mm. a, there was a streak of, you know, because of the technology they developed for fur and creatures and animals... Than they did Lion King, so I think now whenever it has to do with creatures, animals, detective, Pikachu, and things like that, right now we're like the the prime studio mm. to do that type of uh, that type of work. So a lot of that content is coming our way. Hmm. Wait a second. Were you guys the Technicolor in charge of the first rendition of the Sonic the Hedgehog in the for the first movie where where everyone kind of roasted the Sonic? Do you remember the first trailer of the Sonic the Hedgehog one? The Sonic design kind of looked just um not so great, and they redesigned it again. You know, do you remember that whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, the art department uh, we came in when that was happening, like the oh 
I forgot what studio was working on it or or if it was our studio doing the VFX. I'm not, I don't remember, but as an, as an art department, you know, we were, we were brought in and they told us- uh, Fix this mess. No, I don't know if, no, it was not, it wasn't like fix it, but they told us like, hey, like uh, we're gonna redo this movie kind of thing. And so this is, this is what's, you know, this, this are, we got a brief and stuff, you know, something like that. Um, so I know we worked on it. I just don't remember how early, how late we came in, in that movie. Uh, but yeah, I remember the whole controversy and uh, yeah, it was, it was funny. <laughs> I mean, if you've watched or played any of the Sonic games, you knew that, um, let me just put it lightly, it wasn't very pleasant to the eye, the first design. Let's just put it that way. Um, but the second yeah, design, yeah. yeah, but the second design was actually super good art, honestly. Great job. <laughs> well, I, I didn't do it. I don't, honestly, I don't remember who did it. I just- No, but on, Technicolor team, yeah. anyone. Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I you know with anything like that as big as sonic is usually a team effort it's a bunch of people working towards something uh, yeah yeah um, well that's one of the best things about working at technicolor and i guess at, at any studio where where you get to know your peers well it's like it's really you i i always feel very supportive like you know when i cannot you know i cannot uh, get something to look the way i want or 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 I'm struggling with design. There's always another artist next to me that I can reach out to me, like, hey, like I need a hand, like, and and I love that from the department. Yeah, and um, there's this thing about it. I've recently been seeing a lot, like the headlines. I'm thinking you can even hear it as well. There's a lot of like you know, recent callouts of like you know, workspace, toxic workspace, and office uh, culture and behavior in general. I mean. I, from what I'm hearing, that it seems like Technicolor has figured that out. It's a great place, like great people, and that's awesome. But uh, you know, Blizzard, like a couple of months ago, it's been just on a train wreck of like you know the whole thing. You know what's happening there, and a lot of like yeah, there was this architecture firm in actually Los Angeles that had a huge like actual headline, where there was like the, there were some weird like allegations of like you know weird workspace like environments and stuff like that. And from your experience of, you know, working in technical and stuff, um, what are some of the red flags people should look out for when they're trying to apply for a studio, you know, basically? Um, yeah, I, uh, I I think I'm very fortunate because, you know, Technicolor is a massive company and I'm in this like small team in Los Angeles. And so basically what happens in my department is like a bubble. Uh, and I am not really sure what happens outside of that bubble. Like I'm really well protected by my um, production uh, managers and my art director. They're really good at, you know, like being that wall and allowing us to be very creative while they deal with the mess and the emails and all that stuff. So, so I'm really fortunate. So I would say when you're looking for a company, I would try to see, you know, how protective you're going to be from politics or from, you know, that the things that are, have nothing to do with art. Uh, I mean, maybe you enjoy that and then you decide to be more of that bridge. But if you don't, then I would try to ask those hard, hard questions. And I, I know when I joined uh, the company, the first thing I asked is like, what does crunch time looks like, look like here? Like, what is crunch time here? And, there, and, and I had the best answer I've ever heard. Like my art director at the time said like, oh, we don't do crunch time. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, you know, sometimes it gets busy, but 
and you I may ask you to stay like one hour after work or two, but but we aim to not have crunch time. And uh, and I was just like, oh, really? And 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 it was true. And you know what? Because they were so good at taking care of us, whenever I see my art director struggling or like, oh shit, like we need to deliver this and we're not gonna finish. I don't care staying the extra hours, you know. You like, feel bad for not working hard for them. Yeah, yeah. Not now I wanna give back to the company yeah. because yeah, they've been taking care of me for so long. So I'm super fortunate. I cannot tell you how how much the LA uh, branch of Technic, I mean, where I'm at, uh, how, how good it's been to me and to, I think to my peers, um, it's a really healthy environment. So I would just say, when you're about to join the job, make sure you're interviewing them too. It's not mm. just make sure that it's something you're comfortable uh, with. Yeah, exactly. And especially like, you know, that's kind of uh, interesting that you mentioned also crunch time. Um, I don't know, have you heard the news of like the new Witcher video game, like, you know, installment in the Witcher franchise is going to, is on their construction right now. All right. Um, and here's like a very interesting headline I saw on Twitter the other day. Apparently there's going to be no crunch time for Witcher series. So it might take like nine years to, for it to develop. They're going to take nine years because for Cyberpunk, they announced it on 2012. And as you've probably seen, it, I think it was the early 2021, which was announced. Um, it wasn't, it, it was full of bugs, basically. And um, it was because of the crunch time culture and all of that. You know, they had, they were so much under pressure. And because of that, they learned a lesson. And the art director said, until I'm under like, I think the board of art, art supervisions or something like that, there's going to be no crunch time. And even for the game Hades, have you, have you played the game Hades? No, I haven't. It's, I think it was one of the game of the years of 2020s, which amazing game, by the way, like, I'm not gonna say that, just go Google it. Awesome, awesome game. And even word, I think in the literature award for the first time, if we do game won a literature award, a prestigious literature award or something. And um, the thing is, one of the main interesting things about the development of the game was that there was a forced vacation policy, which means they have no right to overwork themselves, the people who work on the project, which is something like super interesting. And actually the quality of the game, everything from the sound, the music, the animation, like every single thing about the game was high quality. Like mm. that's what astounded me. And the amount of dialogues and voice actings and just, oh my God, like, hundreds and hours of dollars and four seconds for like just a relatively small game but <laughs> but i was kind of amazed like what actually like taking care of the people who work on a project you know does to a project yeah yeah, yeah. oh you know? it does wonders it does wonders because when you care about the people you are working for then you yeah you put your best uh self out there you know you just and and especially when you when the culture is like a team culture, you know that, you know, to be creative, um, feeling like you cannot fail is actually very healthy. You know, like, I know that if I screw up, I have a teammate next to me who can like, you know, catch me and be like, okay, no worries, from here on I have, it. and then next time when that person's falling, you can catch them and stuff. And so, so, working without that fear working on just like being very creative creative just is what uh, generates the best uh, work so 
So I hope more studios uh, slowly realize that, that creativity works very differently from maybe other things. You cannot, you cannot push creativity out of people. That's not just not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, but on the other hand, a lot of the animators working and not just animators could be worked on the series are chain. There has been like, you know, a lot of like, you know, people who coming out of the woodworks and saying they were like criminally underpaid. People who worked on our chain, mm. uh, but still it was like an amazing piece of, you know, animation and working and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, in the end of the day, you know, creativity, comes from someone who's like you know actual like basically effort and quality comes from someone who's actually well rested has no worries like not no worries but you get the point like it's not under like mental pressure like negative toxic pressure you get the best result as basic as that yeah i think you know it also you know they have this uh what is it a triangle of like so basically do you care about the project you're working on yes no are you being paid well? Yes, no. Do you like the people you work with? I think it's those three things. And so as long as a couple of those are, those are being met, usually the work can be done. It doesn't mean that it's the best, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it, you know, or like you can very easily burn people out. I know people who's, who've left the industry because I, even if they're amazing artists, they just like have to take these super long breaks because they get, I get broken by the industry. So yeah, I mean I'm sure I'm sure that people can work under under stress, but I'm I don't know. I'm, I really believe that people are their best when they are happy. <laughs> so why not try to do that as a studio? Yeah. And um all right now here's an interesting question. What is the first art job paycheck you ever got? Basically the first ever paycheck you ever got with art. What was it for? When was it like the whole story, basically? The first paycheck from art? Yeah, the first is the first money you made out of art. Actually, it was in high school. I don't know if this counts, but I was, uh, you know, I took the pizza. I worked at a pizza place and I was like, oh, this is not for me. And so there was this lady who was paint, doing faux painting. I don't know if you know what it, that is, faux painting, like, you go to rich people's houses and they want a wall uh, looking like marble or like wood. So you, you faux paint, you like fake the paint to make it look like different materials. Oh, the texture, and basically. Like texturing, but it, it's a bit more complex. Like it's like next level texturing, uh, customized. So anyway, it, besides that, we would also do murals. So, you know, like I got to paint a mural of Tuscany, Italy in an Italian restaurant, you know, or like... Um, at model homes, I had to paint kids' rooms with, you know, put like kids on a surfboard and things like that. So I was painting really large, you know, acrylic uh, murals uh, of different things. And, you know, for a high school job, it was like perfect. And that was, I would say that was my first like real money, you know, creating art. Awesome. And well, Here's a thing, here's a part where the people who are watching the episode on YouTube are going to be much more happy about, which is the sketchbook tour section of the podcast. Well, what do we have for today? Okay, so I really don't sketch much, but when I'm doing taxes or I'm on an important phone call, <laughs> that's when I have paper around me and I just start 
sketching. So you asked me if I had anything around. So I just, you know, hopefully you can see. Uh, maybe. Ah, focused. yeah, we can see. Let me know if it's focused. Yeah, it's focused. It's focused. Yeah. So you know, like it. It. This is for nothing. This is just me, like drawing as I'm talking on the phone. Um. Hopefully, my social security is not written in there. But... <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. This character from Dragon Ball, I think, came to my mind. And I was like, I wonder if I remember this. From the imagination. Yeah, and I just, like, start drawing. And I'm always on the phone. So so if you can see, there's a lot of, like, faces just uh, being drawn there. And, like, I'm not really thinking much about how or why I'm doing it. It's, it's mainly, it's mainly just uh, my, my other side of, my other half of the brain kind of going through the motions on its own. Awesome, man. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. That's what I have around me. I wish I had more stuff, but most of my sketches have, most of my days spent uh, digitally and this is the, the moment where I do pencil is when I'm in important phone calls. No worries, man. Thanks so much. And for anyone who's listening to this on Spotify or CastBox, do check out the YouTube version if you want to see uh, the sketches. That, like, you know, just just go watch the YouTube, you know, why are you doing an audio? I mean, honestly, go, go, <laughs> go subscribe to the channel. Like, you know, just selling out. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and the next thing is... Um, who are some of your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? I know, tough questions. Artists are not good with names. I get that. But the first names that pop into your mind, where are they? Uh, definitely. Uh, what is the name of the Russian artist? Uh, Repin? Um, I think that's his name. Yeah, I, I'm super bad with names. But I would say uh, it's a traditional an old master. Um I think it's Repin, like R-E-P-I-N. It's his last name. And then uh, from more current ones, I like really learned a lot from Steve Houston and uh, Kevin Chen, those guys like doing like anatomy and stuff. And they inspired me from the moment I arrived in LA, I always gravitated to their sketches and like their charcoals and stuff. Um, and then from a more concept art, kind of world I would say like Jamie Jones was always like oh like the you know the painterly style and just how efficient his strokes are definitely um but uh, yeah I would say I mean if you don't mind I can just tell you exactly the name I have the sketch yes, like sure thing no worries um, yeah it's like I have a um, a folder of all, of all of these work that I that I love and in your inspiration folder, right? Exactly. Everyone needs one of those. Oh my God, it's the best. And every time I lose track of sometimes like why I'm doing what I'm doing, um, I like to look at this inspiration thing and be like, oh, this is, I, I, I love this stuff. Uh, <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the name is uh, Ilya Repin. It's uh, I-L-Y-A. R-E-P-I-N. I would say he's like one of my top artists ever. He's, uh, he's from the 19th century, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 
I'm sure, I mean, if, if anyone Googles him, you'll find a lot of paintings that I'm sure you've seen uh, before. Uh, how do you do, I don't know if, if this comes to, if this brings a picture, but there's a, a painting of like a procession in the desert where people are carrying like a saint or something. And, you know, this is the guy who painted it. But even his sketches and everything he did was like amazing. Way out so, of his time, right? Way, way, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I would say Kevin Chan and Steve Houston from today are like two of my favorites too. Awesome. <laughs> and well, I mean, we talked about a lot of the office culture and just, you know, a lot of like, you know, soft, just other aspects of like the art industry. But the main questions I wanted to ask you as well, um, since you're a professional working in the industry with a lot of experience is, do you, what any main advice and tips do you have for someone who wants to get into the industry inter for when it comes to resume and portfolio and stuff like that? Yeah, I would say spend most of your time in your resume, in your portfolio and maybe lie in your <laughs> resume like everyone else. Just like, honestly, what people care about the most is like you having a really, you know, clear understanding of the, of the basics. You know, at the studio, we're aware that it's hard to gain experience without being, you know, someone giving you the chance, but it's really hard to give a chance to someone who's still not understanding perspective, value, and things like that. So if you take care of that, of like the basics, then we can teach you how to use software or like the techniques and things like that. So I always tell people when they they start asking me about a new software or something like that, I'm like, you know, that's, that's going to take you a month or two to learn, but the basics, that's going to take longer. So don't put that away. Um, so I would say, I would say that's advice. Number one, number two is make it, you know, portfolio pieces are really hard to make because you basically have to be the director of the movie, the screenwriter, the, you know, you have to put many hats and I see a lot of artists just like creating these very complex concept art pieces that, you know, end up not looking great because they had to do so much that. Uh, I call it, they burned their, their eyes. They looked at this piece for like four months. So now it's no longer a very good painting. So what I would say is grab a book, grab an IP that already exists and treat that as your script. Um, something that we're all very familiar with so that when people look at it, they immediately be like, oh, that's like a remake of XXX, whatever uh, IP you like. Uh, so I would say, make it easy. So um at the studio a lot of times we have to design a keyframe but we received the 3d model already because that's been designed like a year earlier so that you know you see a lot of paintings from movies and they look amazing they're like oh how did they do that so fast and like well many times we have help from other departments so if you have that in mind think of how you can help yourself by acquiring by deciding, am I doing a keyframe? Is it a frame to inspire? Is it a piece of cinematography? Then that means I don't necessarily have to design every element in it. Or do I want to be the designer of this, this character? Then that means the, the shot doesn't have to be that cinematographic because the point is design 
of one character. So it's like, come to present your work to us. Um, we don't, you know, we don't want to see that you do everything, but we want to see that whatever you do, you do it very well. I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, it does. I mean, it definitely does, you know, 100%. And um, all right, here's the thing. Uh, I think either from my side or your side, I think the internet connection is getting a bit uncivil. Oh, I think it's my side. Oh, oh my God, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, fortunately, we're at the last two questions. Um, the next one is, what area besides the area you're working on right now, which is, of course, art and design and everything, would you be interested to explore and learn in the future? Let me rephrase the question, sorry. Aside from art, what other hobbies do you have and would you like to explore when you've got more free time? I definitely, I cook a lot. Uh, awesome. <laughs> back in college, I had a teacher who always said, yeah, I, I, back in college, this teacher used to say, the best way to work out your creativity when you're not drawing or designing is to be in the kitchen and try to create something from scratch and like not look at a recipe, just try to, break down a process I would say for me is cooking and just like trying new food and then uh, the thing that I would like to explore maybe in the future would be to actually film you know to actually grab the camera and and shoot something um, but I think I'm waiting maybe also write a little bit but I'm, I think I'm waiting to have something to say uh, I don't want to just put something out there for the sake of just putting something out there I think I'm waiting for, you know, like a moment where it's like, oh, did I have this thing to tell the world, and it's, and probably that's when I I'll decide to jump into that, um, yeah, into that realm. For now, for now, I think between my work and then cooking and just traveling and experiencing life, I think that I have enough. All right, awesome, and. Well, we've reached the last and final question of the podcast, which is called Final Roars. All right, let me explain. Imagine in a limited amount of time that you have, you have an opportunity, a window of time to leave a message or messages as, as a human being to another human being. And that another human being that you're going to leave a message to is anyone who's going to listen to this episode in the at any point of time in the future. In that situation, what do you have to say? <laughs> oh my god so much pressure uh i feel like i'm talking to people in the future already um i i would say remember to enjoy the process of learning because that never ends you'll never get to the end because there's no such thing so uh make sure that whatever you're doing however you're doing it that you are enjoying it. And if you're not, take a break and, and then re-examine why, <laughs> why you're doing that thing. Uh, uh, and I think just like stopping every once in a while to think and, and then continue is, is very useful. So yeah, just make sure to enjoy the process of learning and making art. All right, I think that's a wrap. And Thank you so much for coming by. Where can people contact you if they had any questions? Is your Instagram okay? Uh, yeah, Instagram or LinkedIn are both good ways uh, to reach out to me. Do people really use LinkedIn that much in art community, like in the studios and stuff like that, or just art session is enough? Like, I'm just wondering. 
Um, LinkedIn is so the thing is in every art in, in every corporate studio. Yeah, the people making the first uh, call is usually people who use LinkedIn. Mm. Then they send your work to our, you know, they send your work to the art director. But a lot of the recruiters are still very familiar with LinkedIn and that platform. So actually, that's how I got this job uh, where I'm currently. I send my portfolio to oh, wow. recruiter through LinkedIn and then they passed it to another recruiter. And that, that arrived at my at, at who, who was my art director at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, we use uh, ArtStation sometimes, but it just, uh, I don't necessarily see it as a com communication platform. It's really good to showcase, but for communication and keeping messages organized, I think that's why LinkedIn works well. Yeah. No, no I mean, the bad thing about LinkedIn is that when you message someone, you can delete your message later because uh, I had a problem with the credit card company here and I just wrote a, basically two years ago wrote a long paragraph to the CEO of the company I mean the guy never probably never checked his messages well, uh, but I was kind of like you know awestruck that oh you can't delete your message actually because my problem got solved later on by the support but I was kind of worried because it was like a money issue and yeah <laughs> yeah that's what I found out about LinkedIn all right. Thank you so much for coming by. And thank wow. you to anyone who tuned in this episode. And till next episode, take care, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye.